Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Classes of Mail. My name is Alan Gigax, and today we are going to get started on Article 12. Boy howdy, this is a long one. And uh, I'm definitely going to break it up. It is, well so far we've read through 149 pages of the contract. This one starts on page 150 and it is 50 pages long, 53 pages long. Holy crap, maybe I should shut my mouth and start uh, reading it so we can get through this. Oh, by the way, I'm going back to um, reading the boxed sections in Accent. Um, I haven't gotten any feedback yet on whether you guys prefer that or not. And frankly, I prefer it because it breaks it up for me and just makes it seem less monotonous. And boy, anything we can do to make this less monotonous, I'm in favor of. So I'm going to keep doing that unless the feedback is overwhelmingly negative. Uh, it's hard to tell because I record these sometimes weeks in advance. But that is neither here nor there. All of this is preventing us from getting to the actual contract, so let's get to it. Article 12 goes over the principles of seniority, posting, and reassignments. Introduction. Article 12 addresses a wide variety of subjects, including probationary employees, seniority, posting, bidding, reassignments, withholding, accessing, and voluntary transfers. It has a complicated numbering system. For example, Article 12.5.C.5.B2A. Consequently, it can appear more complex than it really is. Furthermore, some of its provisions do not apply to the letter carrier craft. The sections of Article 12 that do not expressly apply to the letter carrier craft are indicated by using gray shading. The gray shading is for the convenience of the user and without prejudice to either party's position concerning the applicability of those provisions in any specific situation or dispute. Um, so editorial note here, if I recognize them, I'm going to skip those because if they don't apply to us, it's already long enough. Continuing to make it easier to locate the applicable provisions, the JCAM divides article 12 into the following sections. Section one on page 12 dash two is probationary employees. Section two, you know, there's actually no reason to read this chart to you because you can see this chart on page 12 dash one. If you want quick access and we're going to read all these parts anyway. All right, here we go. JCAM Section 1, Probationary Employees, 12.1.A. Section 1, Probationary Period. A. The probationary period for a new employee shall be 90 calendar days. The employer shall have the right to separate from its employer any probationary employee at any time during the probationary period, and these probationary employees shall not be permitted access to the grievance procedure in relation thereto. If the employer intends to separate an employee during the probationary period for scheme failure, the employer shall be given at least seven days advance notice of such intent to separate the employee. If the employee qualifies on the scheme within the notice period, the employee will not be separated for prior scheme failure. See memo page 140. Probationary employees. Career employees serving their probationary period are members of the bargaining unit and have access to the grievance procedure on all matters pertaining to their employment except separation. The Postal Service has a right to separate probationary employees at any time during their probationary period without establishing just cause. Employees separated during the probationary period are contractually barred from filing a grievance concerning the separation. This includes challenges to their separation on the grounds of alleged noncompliance with the procedures in ELM Section 365.32. However, 
A dispute as to whether or not the Postal Service's action separating the employee, the employee occurred during the probationary period is arbitrable because that is a precondition of the applicability of Article 12.1.A. And here's a citation. <clears throat> EL 312 section 775.1.C provides that, quote, employees who were serving their probationary period at the time of entry into active duty and who met the probationary time period while serving on active duty are considered as having met the probationary time, end quote. A city carrier assistant who receives a career appointment must go through a probationary period as a career employee under certain conditions. This issue was addressed by the Memorandum of Understanding regarding Article 12.1, probationary period from the 2019 National Agreement. And here is that memo. Hey, we start right off with a memo. This one is between the USPS and the NALC regarding Article 12.1, probationary period. City carrier assistants who are converted to career status during an appointment as a CCA or directly after a five-day break in service will not serve a probationary period as a career employee, provided the employee has successfully served a 360-day appointment as a CCA and such career appointment directly follows a city carrier assistant employment, or rather a city carrier assistant appointment. A CCA who receives a career appointment goes through a 90-calendar-day probationary period as a career city letter carrier only if the employee has not successfully served a 360-day appointment as a city carrier assistant directly for, before conversion to full-time career status. City carrier assistant employees. CCA employees are members of the bargaining unit and have access to the grievance procedure on those provisions that apply to CCAs. The question of whether or not a CCA has access to the access to the grievance procedure if separated or disciplined is addressed in Appendix B-3. Other provisions, Section E, Article 16 of the 2019 National Agreement. Appendix B. Appendix B is the reprinting of Section I of the 2013 DAS Award, the creation of a new non-career employee category. Provisions of the DAS Award that were modified in the 2019 National Agreement are in bold. Those provisions that are reflected in another part of the National Agreement or Joint Contract Administration Manual are not reprinted herein. 3. Other Provisions E. Article 16. Discipline Procedure CCAs may be separated for lack of work at any time before the end of their term. Separations for lack of work shall be by inverse relative standing in the installation. Such separation of the CCAs with the lowest relative standing is not grievable except where it is alleged that the separation is pretextual. CCAs separated for lack of work before the end of their term will be given preference for reappointment ahead of other CCAs with less relative standing in the installation, provided the need for hiring arises within 18 months of their separation. CCAs may be disciplined or removed within the term of their appointment for just cause, and any such discipline or removal will be subject to the grievance arbitration procedure, provided that within the immediately preceding six months, the employee has completed 90 work days or has been employed for 120 calendar days, whichever comes first, of their initial appointment. A CCA who has previously satisfied the 9120-day requirement, either as a CCA or transitional employee, with an appointment made after September 29, 2007, will have access to the grievance procedure without regard to his or her length of service as a CCA. Further, 
While in any such grievance, the concept of progressive discipline will not apply, discipline should be corrective in nature rather than punitive. CCAs may be immediately placed in an off-duty status under the circumstances covered by Article 16.7. If the CCA completed the requisite period and has access to the grievance procedure pursuant to the previous paragraph, the requirements regarding notice, justification, and the employee's ability to protest such action are the same as that for career employees under Article 16.7. In the case of removal for cause within the term of an appointment, a CCA shall be entitled to advance written notice of the charges against him or her in accordance with the provisions of Article 16 of the National Agreement. Removal actions, subject to the 30-day notification period in Article 16.5 of the National Agreement, will be deferred until after the Step B decision has been rendered or 14 days after the appeal is received at Step B, whichever comes first except for those removals involving allegations of crime, violence, or intoxication, or cases where retaining the employee on duty may result in damage to postal property, loss of mails, or funds, or where the employee may be injurious to self or others. This requirement cannot extend a 360-day appointment period. B. The parties recognize that the failure of the employer to discover a falsification by an employee in the employment application prior to the expiration of the probationary period shall not bar the use of such falsification as a reason for discharge. Falsification of Employment Applications This section provides that even if the Postal Service does not discover during the probationary period that an employee has falsified an employment application, the falsification may still be used as a reason for discharge. However, this section does not change the provisions of Article 16.1 requiring that non-probationary employees may only be disciplined for just cause. 12.1.C C. When an employee completes the probationary period, seniority will be computed in accordance with this agreement as of the initial day of full-time or part-time employment. Those employees who are converted to career status and subject to serving a probation period have limited seniority rights. For example, a former CCA is eligible for opting and can bid on routes while he or she is is a probationary employee, provided the employee spent at least 60 calendar days as a CCA prior to conversion to career status. Additionally, when their seniority is established after the completion of the probationary period, time spent in a probationary status is included and their seniority is computed as of the initial day of appointment as a career employee. 12.1.D. D. When an employee who is separated from the Postal Service for any reason is rehired, the employee shall serve a new probationary period. If the separation was due to disability, the employee's seniority shall be established in accordance with Section 2 if applicable. This provision applies only to career employees who have been separated and rehired by the Postal Service. We move on to JCAM Section 2, Principles of Seniority, 12.2.A. Section 2. Principles of Seniority A. Except as specifically provided in this article, the principles of seniority are established in the craft articles of this agreement. The language provides that the seniority rules contained in Article 41 govern, except as specifically provided in Article 12. Whenever the seniority rules in Article 12 are inconsistent with the rules in Article 41, the rules in Article 41 prevail. 12.2.B B. 
An employee who left the bargaining unit on or after July 21, 1973 and returns to the same craft, one, will begin a new period of seniority if the employee returns from a position outside the Postal Service, or two, will begin a new period of seniority if the employee returns from a non-bargaining unit position within the Postal Service unless the employee returns within two years from the date the employee left the unit. This section can only be understood when read in conjunction with Article 41.2.8.2 and 41.2.F. Returning from a different installation. If an employee leaves an installation and later returns to the letter carrier craft, Article 12.2.B is not applicable. Rather, Article 41.2.8.2 requires that in such cases the employee begins a new period of seniority. The only exception to this rule is when letter carriers exercise the Article 12 retreat rights described under Section 5. Returning to same installation, Articles 12.2.B and 41.2.F, read together, provide for three different situations concerning the seniority of carriers who leave the bargaining unit, who leave the bargaining unit, oh, never leave the installation, and who then return to the carrier craft on or after July 21st, 1978. 1. If the carrier left the unit prior to July 21, 1973, then Article 41.2.F would apply, and the carrier would pick up whatever seniority he or she had at the time of departure from the unit, but would not receive credit for time spent out of the unit. 2. If the carrier left the unit on or after July 21, 1973, and returned within two years, then Article 41.2.F again applies, and the carrier would receive credit for the seniority he or she had prior to leaving the bargaining unit. 3. A carrier who left the unit on or after July 21, 1973 and returns later than two years following the date of departure begins a new period of seniority. Article 41.2F does not apply. Rather, Article 12.2.B.2 takes care of the entire matter. Uh, and here is a chart that describes exactly what we just said, so I'm going to skip that chart. The issue of a CCA who leaves the bargaining unit for a non-bargaining position and returns to the city delivery, city delivery letter, the city delivery letter carrier craft is addressed as follows. And here we have a memo between the USPS and the NALC regarding city carrier assistant return from non-bargaining unit position. A CCA who leaves the bargaining unit for a non-bargaining unit position and returns to the city letter carrier craft loses any relative standing earned as a CCA. The employee must return as a CCA unless he or she will return with the highest relative standing in the installation and there is a full-time vacancy in the installation. In these instances, the employee may be returned to the craft as a career employee. Any exceptions to the above require mutual agreement in the national parties. And we move on to Section 3, Principles of Posting, 12.3.A. Section 3, Principles of Posting. A. To ensure that a more efficient and stable workforce, to ensure a more efficient and stable workforce, an employee may be designated a successful bidder no more than six times during the duration of this agreement, unless such bid one is to a job in a higher wage level, two is due to elimination or reposting of the employee's duty assignment, or three enables an employee to become assigned to a station closer to the employee's place of residence. Bidding Restrictions Employees are entitled to be successful bidders six times during the life of the agreement without restriction. 
Seven or more successful bids are contingent upon meeting at least one of the listed criteria. The bidding exceptions listed in this section are to be applied from the first bid. And here's a citation. The period for counting bids during the term of the 2019 National Agreement began on September 21, 2019. The bidding restrictions in this section apply only to those positions posted under the provisions of Article 41.1.B.2 and to voluntary transfers under the provisions of Article 12.5.C.5.B.1.A. They do not apply to opting under the provisions of Article 41.2.B, bidding under the provisions of Article 41.3.0, restricted bidding under the provisions of Article 12.5.C.4, or to positions applied for under the provisions of Article 25. And there's another citation. 12.3.B. B. Specific provisions for post in each craft are contained in the craft posting provisions of this agreement. Article 12.3.B provides that with the exception of the bidding restrictions in Article 12.3.A, postings and biddings are governed by the provisions of Article 41. JCAM Section 4, Introduction and Overview, Accessing and Withholding, Article 12, Sections 4 and 5. The provisions of Article 12 of the 2019 National Agreement are substantially the same as those in the 1994 National Agreement. Despite the fact that, the, that NALC has negotiated separately since 1994, the parties agreed to leave the provisions of Article 12 unchanged in order to reflect their understanding that there was to be no change in their application. As a result, Article 12.4 and 12.5 still contain references to other bargaining units and have entire sections that have no application in the letter carrier craft. The sections that do not apply to the letter carrier craft will be specifically identified below. Viewed from a broad perspective, the accessing provisions of Article 12 are intended to protect career postal employees by providing a mechanism for reducing the number of career employees faster than is possible through normal attrition. These provisions are inherently complicated since they were negotiated to be applied in a variety of different situations. The Article 12 accessing provisions fall into two main sections. Article 12.4, 12.5.A, and 12.5.B contain the general principles that apply to all accessing situations. Article 12.5.C contains the various provisions that apply in specific accessing situations. Superseniority. The accessing provisions of Article 12.4 and 12.5 must be read in conjunction with the superseniority provisions of Article 17.3, Article which provide in pertinent part. While serving as a steward or chief steward, an employee may not be involuntarily transferred to another tour, to another station or branch of the particular post office, or to another independent post office or installation unless there is no job for which the employee is qualified on such tour, or in such station or branch or post office. The superseniority rights of stewards supersede the provisions of Article 12. Thus, stewards are the last to be accessed from a section the craft, or an installation, regardless of their seniority or their full or part-time status. And here's another citation. 12.4.A. Section 4. Principles of Reassignments. A. A primary principle in affecting reassignments will be that dislocation and inconvenience to employees in a regular workforce shall be kept to a minimum, consistent with the needs of the service. Reassignments will be made in accordance with this section and the provisions of Section 5 below. Article 12, Section 4.A. This section is applicable to all, exi 
all accessing situations. It states the general rule repeated in Article 12.5.B.1 that dislocation and inconvenience to employees in the regular workforce must be kept to a minimum. To accomplish this, Article 12.5.C identifies the different circumstances under which accessing may occur and procedures in each. When an LMOU identifies sections for reassignments to the same craft within an installation as authorized by Article 30.B.18, the special rules provided for in Article 12.5.C.4.B apply. When management needs to reduce the number of employees in an installation other than by attrition, the following applies. Management must seek to access employees to another craft in the same installation under the provisions of Article 12.5.C.5.A.4. Then, management must seek to access employees to the same craft in another installation under the provisions of Article 12.5.C.5.B.1. Finally, management may then seek to access employees to another craft in another installation under the provisions of Article 12.5.C.B.2. For example, it is a violation for management to access a clerk to the carrier craft in another installation under the provisions of Article 12.5.C.5.B.2 when it could instead have accessed the clerk to a clerk craft position in another installation under the provisions of Article 12.5.C.5.B.1. 12.4.B. B. When a major relocation of employees is planned in major metropolitan areas or due to the implementation of national postal mail networks, the employer will apply this article in the development of the relocation and reassignment plan. At least 90 days in advance of the implementation of such plan, the employer will meet with the unions at the national level to fully advise the unions how it intends to implement the plan. If the unions believe such plan violates the national agreement, the matter may be grieved. Such plan shall include a meeting at the regional level in advance, as much as six months whenever possible, of the reassignments anticipated. The employer will advise the unions, based on the best estimates available at the time, of the anticipated impact. The numbers of employees affected by craft, the locations to which they will be reassigned, and, in the case of a new installation, the anticipated complement by tour and craft. The unions will be periodically updated by the region should any of the information change due to more current data being available. Article 12, Section 4.B. This section is administered at the national level with the assistance of the national business agents in the effective regions, affected regions. Any branches impacted by such a major relocation will be kept informed through the office of the national business agent. 12.4.C. C. When employees are accessed out of their installation, the national business agent of the union may request at the area level a comparative work hour report of the losing installation 60 days after the accessing of such employees. If a review of the report does not substantiate that business conditions warranted the action taken, such employees shall have their retreat rights activated. If the retreat right is denied, the employees have right to the grievance arbitration procedure. Comparative Work Hour Report Prior to a change made in the 2001 National Agreement, comparative work hour reports were requested at the national level. Now they are requested by the National Business Agent through the USPS Area Labor Relations. The National Business Agent may request the comparative work hour report of the losing installation 60 days after accessing. 
The comparative work hour report will include the following for, th for the 30 days prior to and the 30 days after the accessing. Total numbers of employees. Total straight time work hours. Total overtime work hours. Total limited duty work hours. And total light duty work hours in each of the following categories. Full-time regular and full-time flexible carriers. Part-time regular ca letter carriers. Part-time flexible letter carriers. City carrier assistant letter carriers. A comparative work hour report is used to analyze whether accessing outside the installation was warranted by business conditions. If a Step B team requires a comparative work hour report to decide a grievance concerning accessing outside an installation, the grievance will be remanded to the formal Step A level to be held until the report is received. The report will become part of the official record of the grievance. If the formal Step A parties are unable to resolve the grievance after the report is received, the grievance may be reappealed to Step B. Retreat Rights If, upon analysis, the comparative work hour report indicates that accessing was not necessary, excess city letter carriers shall have their retreat rights activated. Failure to activate retreat rights under such circumstances may be subject to a separate, timely grievance. 12.4.D D. In order to minimize the impact on employees in the regular workforce, the employer agrees to separate, to the extent possible, casual employees working in the affected craft and installation prior to accessing any regular employee in that craft out of the installation. The junior full-time employee who is being accessed has the option of reverting to part-time flexible status in his or her craft or of being reassigned to the gaining installation. Whenever management proposes to access letter carriers out of an installation or access employees, regardless of craft, from another installation into the letter carrier craft, all casual employees in the losing installation must per first be separated, quote, to the extent possible, end quote. The casual classification of letter carrier was eliminated in the 2006 National Agreement. A junior full-time employee always has the option of voluntarily reverting to a part-time part flexible status in his or her own craft and installation rather than being accessed to another installation. However, the Postal Service may never require an employee to revert to part-time flexible status in such circumstances. Any full-time carrier who chooses to revert to PTF status instead of being accessed in accordance with Article 12 will be counted as a full-time letter carrier for applications of provisions of Article 7 of the National Agreement. 12.5.A. Section 5. Reassignments. A. Basic Principles and Reassignments. Article 12.5.A.1-8 through 8 are merely a table of contents for the application of Article 12.5.C. As indicated below, each of the numbered sections in Article 12, Section 5.A.1-8, through 8, refers to a specific section of Article 12.5.C. Uh... 12.5.A.1 When it is proposed to 1. Discontinue an independent installation. This reference isn't this reference is to Article 12.5. You know, we're going to read all these 12.5.C4. So this is just a table of contents. I'm going to skip this table of contents and we're going to get back we're going to go down to 12.5.B. All right, here we go. 12.5.B.1. B Principles and Requirements 1. Dislocation and inconvenience to full-time and part-time flexible employees shall be kept to the minimum consistent with the needs of the service. 
This section repeats the general rule contained in Article 12.4.A. See Article 12.4.A for a complete explanation. All right, and Section 5, Withholding Positions, 12.5.B.2. 2. The Vice President's Area Operations shall give full consideration to withholding sufficient full-time and part-time flexible positions within the area for full-time and part-time flexible employees who may be involuntarily reassigned. When positions are withheld, management will periodically review the continuing need for withholding such positions and discuss with the MBA the results of such review. Withholding full-time and part-time residual vacancies under this provision is not merely a management right. It is an obligation in order to keep dislocation and inconvenience to full-time and part-time flexible employees to the minimum consistent with the needs of the service. National Arbitrator wrote in such and such decision, There is no question that the national agreement imposed upon management an obligation to anticipate dislocations which might occur and to withhold full-time vacancies for the purpose of preserving as many opportunities for regular full-time employees to avoid the dislocation of moving out of the area by bidding into such full-time positions when they were forced out of their regular positions. Such a requirement was agreed to by the parties to several previous national negotiations, regardless of the craft or crafts represented on the union side of the bargaining table, because both labor and management recognize that full-time employees, in this instance, were members of a career workforce, with tenure and stability of employment to be protected wherever possible, with rights which superseded those with a less protected career status regardless of craft. That is obviously why the provisions of the earlier Article 12 and those of Appendix A pertinent to this proceeding, as well as those of the present Article 12, did not impose a restriction upon the area postmaster general to withhold vacant full-time positions only for the benefit and protection of employees who are members of the same craft as that in which the vacancy exists. Thus, it is a violation of the national agreement for management to fail to withhold residual positions under the provisions of Article 12.5.B.2 when it can reasonably be anticipated that there will be, need, there will be a need to access employees. If, for example, a letter carrier is accessed to another installation because management failed to withhold a residual position in the carrier's own installation, even though the need for accessing could, be, could reasonably have been anticipated, a contract violation has occurred length of withholding. There is no established contractual time limit on the length of time management may withhold residual positions. Rather, arbitrator Gamser wrote in case blah 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 that the parties must apply, quote, a rule of reason based upon the facts and circumstances then existing, end quote. Whether management has been reasonable in a particular case depends on the full facts and circumstances. Gamser held that the Postal Service had not violated the national agreement by withholding letter carrier positions for approximately one year. Number of withheld positions. Management may not withhold more positions than are reasonably necessary to accommodate the pl any planned accessing. Article 12.5.B.2 only authorized management, authorizes management to withhold, quote, sufficient positions within the area for full-time and part-time flexible employees who may be involuntarily reassigned. End quote. There are no blanket rules that can be used to determine whether management is withholding an excessive number of positions or withholding positions for longer than necessary. Rather, each situation must be examined separately based upon local fact circumstances. Generally, this involves calculating the number of positions that will be reduced, the length of time over which the reductions will occur, and then determining whether the reductions will occur faster than can be accommodated by normal attrition.
Withholding positions for excessing is only justified when positions in the losing craft or installation must be reduced faster than can be accomplished through normal attrition. Projections of anticipated attrition must take into account not only local historical attrition data, but also the age composition of the employees. Installations with a high percentage of employees approaching retirement age can reasonably anticipate higher attrition than installations with younger employees. Thus, accurate projections require an examination of the local fact circumstances rather than mere application of a national average attrition rate. Once management has determined that withholding is necessary, part-time flexibles should not be converted to full-time status within the area of withholding until management has withheld sufficient authorized positions. The goal should be to keep dislocation and inconvenience to full-time and part-time flexible employees to the minimum consistent with the needs of the service. Management may not withhold carrier technician positions in anticipation of accessing employees from another craft. Article 12.5.B.9, 12.5.C.5.A.4, and 12.5.C.5.B.2 require that when employees are accessed into another craft, they must meet the minimum qualifications for the position. The minimum qualification standards for the carrier technician position include one year of experience as a city carrier. See qualification standards for carrier technician, and there's a code here. Clerks cannot meet the minimum experience requirements for carrier technician positions except when former letter carriers will be accessed back into the letter carrier craft. Management may not withhold letter carrier positions in anticipation of accessing employees from lower level positions. The provisions of Article 12.5.C.5.A.4 and 12.5.C.5.B.2 specifically require that when excess employees are accessed to other crafts, it must be to positions in the same or lower level. Full-time flexible assignments are incumbent-only assignments and may not be withheld under the provisions of Article 12.5.B.2 of the National Agreement. And here's a citation. When a part-time flexible employee meets the maximization criteria of the Memorandum Regarding Maximization Slash Full-Time Flexibles, NALC, in an installation that is withholding full-time city carrier residual vacancies in accordance with Article 12, a full-time flexible incumbent-only position will be established but will not be filled until sufficient residual vacancies have been withheld to satisfy the withholding event affecting the installation, or until the withholding order is canceled. As soon as practicable after satisfaction slash cancellation of the subject withholding, the full-time flexible positions created pursuant to the first sentence in this paragraph will be filled in accordance with the memorandum after any residual full-time vacancies, if available. And here's another citation. Periodic Reviews Effective with the change in the 2001 National Agreement, Area management will periodically review the continuing need for withholding positions and discuss the results of such review with the national business agents. The issues that should be discussed include, but are not limited to, the accessing that has occurred and the projected future need for accessing, the currently effective withholding notices, the continuing need for withholding, the vacancies currently being withheld in the letter carrier craft. Additionally, the parties at the national level created a joint work group and the Memorandum of Understanding regarding Article 12 work group. And here's that memo. Uh, here's that memo regarding Article 12 work group. 
The parties will establish an Article 12 work group at the national level to discuss and attempt to resolve issues concerning vacant residual positions, the continued need to withhold positions, and the process for recording residual vacancies in the Postal Service systems. The joint work group will meet within 30 days of the date of this agreement and will function through the term of the 2019 National Agreement. And on we go to Section 6, Principles of Accessing. 12.5.B.3 3. No employee shall be allowed to displace or bump another employee properly holding a position or duty assignment. Excessed employees may normally be placed only in residual vacancies. This includes withheld residual assignments that have been opted for under the provisions of Article 41.2.B. Employees accessed under the terms of the National Agreement are never allowed to displace or bump the incumbent employees in bid positions. When two or more employees are accessed into the same unit at the same time, or when there are more residual vacancies than employees being accessed into a unit, management must allow the accessed employees to exercise their preference by use of their seniority. 12.5.B.4 4. Unions effective shall be notified in advance, as much as six months whenever possible, such notifications to be at the regional level except under A.4 above, which shall be at the local level. Advance notice. The NALC is entitled to advance notice whenever a letter carrier is accessed or whenever an employee from another craft is accessed into the letter carrier craft. Whenever possible, as much as six months advance notice must be made to the national business agent, except in those cases which concern the reassignment to the same craft within an installation of employees excess to the needs of a section of that installation, Article 12.5.C.3. In these cases, notification must be made to the local union. 12.5.B.5 5. Full-time and part-time flexible employees involuntarily detailed or reassigned from one installation to another who qualify for relocation benefits shall be given not less than 60 days advance notice if possible. They shall receive moving, mileage, per diem, and reimbursement for moving of household goods as appropriate, if legally payable, as governed by the standardized government travel regulations as set forth in the applicable handbook. Full-time and part-time flexible employees involuntarily detailed or reassigned from one installation to another who do not qualify for relocation benefits shall be given not less than 30 days advance notice, if possible. Full-time and part-time flexible employees involuntarily detailed or reassigned from one installation to another who qualify for relocation benefits shall be given not less than 60 days advance notice if possible. Note that this provision applies not only to those employees who are involuntarily reassigned or accessed from one installation to another, but also to employees including part-time flexibles who are temporarily detailed on an involuntary basis. Eligible accessed employees receive moving, mileage, per diem, and reimbursement for movement of household goods in accordance with the regulations contained in the applicable handbook. Currently, the regulations are in Handbook F-15-C, Relocation Policy, Bargaining Employees, and F-15, Travel and Relocation. Full-time and part-time flexible employees involuntarily detailed or reassigned from one installation to another who do not qualify for relocation benefits shall be given not less than 30 days advance notice if possible. 
Note that this provision applies not only to those employees who are involuntarily reassigned or accessed from one installation to another, but also to employees, including part-time flexibles, who are temporarily detailed on an involuntary basis. Temporary assignments of CCAs to other post offices, installation, is addressed by the Memorandum of Understanding regarding city carrier assistance, temporary assignments to other post offices. And here is that memo. Uh, again, between the post office and NALC regarding city carrier assistance, temporary assignments to other post offices. Just a sec. Ah, there we go. <clears throat> the parties agree to the following regarding the temporary assignment of city carrier assistance outside their employing post office installation to another post office installation. One. CCAs will normally work in their employing post office, but may be assigned to work in another post office in the local travel area. Handbook F15, Section 7-1.1.1.1. Within the same district, on an occasional basis, the assignment may be for a partial day or several consecutive days, depending on local circumstances. Sunday CCA work assignments are not subject to the occasional basis limitation. Two, temporary assignments must be must otherwise be consistent with the national agreement, e.g. assigning CCAs to work outside their employing post office may not violate Article 7.1.C.4 in the temporary office or the letter carrier paragraph in the employing office. 3. Management will schedule CCAs to work in other post offices in advance of the reporting date whenever practicable. 4. When the need arises to temporarily assign CCAs outside their employing post office, management will, to the extent practicable, use volunteer CCAs from the delivery unit providing assistance as long as the volunteers will be in a similar pay status, e.g. straight time rate, regular overtime rate, penalty overtime rate. If sufficient volunteers are not found, CCAs from the delivery unit providing assistance will be temporarily assigned to the other installation in reverse relative standing order whenever practicable as long as the junior CCAs are in a similar pay status. 5. CCAs who are required or volunteer to work outside their employing office may receive payment for mileage for the difference between their residence and employing post office provided the difference is greater. Handbook F15, Section 7-1.1.1.2.D. The procedures outlined above are effective on December 7, 2013. However, either party may terminate this agreement by providing 30 days written notice to the other party. This agreement is reached without prejudice to the position of either party in this or any other matter and may only be cited to enforce its terms. Date December 5, 2013. 12.5.B.6 6. Any employee volunteering to accept reassignment to another craft or occupational group, another branch of the Postal Service, or another installation shall start a new period of seniority beginning with such assignment except as provided herein. Article 12.5.B.6. This provision is consistent with the provisions of Article 41.2.G. Ah, and here we have some grayed out stuff. Nice. B.7 is about mail handlers. And B.8 is about special delivery messengers, so we're going to skip those. 12.5.B.9 9. Whenever in this agreement provision is made for reassignments, it is understood that any full-time or part-time flexible employee reassigned must meet the qualification requirements of the position to which reassigned. 
Article 12.5.B.9. The minimum qualification standards for carrier technician positions include one year of experience as a city carrier and either successful completion of a four-year high school curriculum or a second year of postal experience. If employees from other crafts do not meet this requirement, they may not be accessed into carrier technician positions. See also the discussion of withholding carrier technician positions under Article 12.5.B.2. National Arbitrator Goldberg held in blah 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 that when the Postal Service intends to reassign an excessed employee to a position across craft lines under the provisions of Article 12, it must determine prior to the actual reassignment that the employee meets the minimum qualifications for that position, including the physical requirements. The parties also agree that when accessing bargaining unit employees from other crafts into city letter carrier positions pursuant to Article 12, any driver testing slash licensing requirements contained in the city letter carrier qualification standards must be met prior to reassignment. And here's a citation. 12.5.B.10 10. Whenever the provisions of this section established in seniority are inconsistent with the provisions of the craft article of disagreement, the provisions of the craft article shall prevail. Article 12.5.B.10. This language requires that the craft article seniority provisions determine the seniority of employees accessed from one craft to another. Under the provisions of Article 41.2.G, employees from another craft accessed into the letter carrier craft being in a new period of seniority. They will be junior to all current part-time flexibles and not just one day junior to the junior full-time regular. 12.5.B.11. 11. 11. It is understood that any employee entitled hereunder to a specific placement may exercise such entitlement only if no other employer has, or no other employee has a superior claim hereunder to the same position. Article 12.5.B.11. This section states the self-evident. If two or more employees are entitled to a specific placement, the placement must the position must be given to the employee with the superior claim. Seniority should be used to determine which employee has the superior claim. 12.5.B.12 12. Surplus U.S. Postal Service Employees Surplus U.S. Postal Service employees from non-mail processing and non-mail delivery installations, regional offices, the U.S. Postal Service headquarters, or from other federal departments or agencies shall be placed at the foot of the part-time flexible role and begin a new period of seniority effective the date of reassignment. Article 12.5.B.12, this provision is consistent with the provisions of Article 41.2.G. Additional accessing issues, limited and light duty. Employees working in light or limited duty assignments are included in all accessing activity and exercise retreat rights by seniority. Signing the ODL. A full-time letter carrier who is accessed to another installation or who exercises retreat rights under the provisions of Article 12 may sign the overtime desired list or the work assignment list in the new installation immediately upon reporting if he or she was on the list in the old installation, Article 8.5.A. Accessing by juniority. When management proposes to access employees, full-time, part-time regular, or part-time flexible, into a city letter carrier duty assignment in a different installation, the junior employee with the same status, full-time, part-time regular, or part-time flexible, should be accessed. Accessing for full-time employees in the letter carrier craft was previously done by grade. 
This was changed by the Memorandum of Understanding regarding involuntary reassignment without regard to level and the Memorandum of Understanding regarding involuntary reassignment preference eligible as part of the DOS Interest Arbitration Award dated January 10, 2013. The full text of these MOUs is shown on JCAM pages 12-22 through 12-24. Bidding. Employees continue to have bidding rights in the section slash installation from which they will be accessed until the accessing actually occurs. If the effective date of the accessing is prior to the closing date of the posting, the bid is void. Grievances. When a grievance is filed on accessing activity, it is normally not necessary to file separate grievances concerning the notice and the actual accessing. It is the intent of the parties to minimize the number of grievances filed in the accessing activity, and no procedural argument should be made regarding which accessing activity is grieved. In grievances concerning the accessing of a letter carrier to another craft, NALC continues to represent the employee after the accessing date on those grievances. Full-time flexibles. The Memorandum of Understanding, entitled Maximization slash Full-Time Flexibles, Article 7, provides that where a part-time flexible has performed letter carrier duties in an installation at least 40 hours a week, five days a week, over a period of six months, the senior part-time flexible shall be converted to full-time carrier status. The letter of intent implementing this memorandum states in relevant part, in those installations where conversions have been made under this Memorandum of Understanding and there are subsequent reversions or accessing, any reductions in full-time letter carrier positions shall be from among those positions converted pursuant to this Memorandum of Understanding until they are exhausted. The above paragraph addresses reductions in full-time positions when reversions or accessing outside an installation or to another craft takes place. Nothing in this paragraph changes the party's understanding that any accessing still must be from the junior full-time carrier, regardless of their status as full-time regular or full-time flexible. The effect of CCAs on the reassigning and accessing of career employees is addressed in Appendix B-3, Other Provisions, Section C, Article 12 of the 2019 National Agreement. Appendix B. Appendix B is the reprinting of Section I of the 2013 DOS Award, the creation of a new non-career employee category. Provisions of the DOS Award that were modified in the 2019 National Agreement are indicated in bold. These provisions that are, those provisions that are reflected in another part of the National Agreement or Joint Contract Administration Manual are not reprinted herein. 3. Other Provisions C. Article 12. Reassignment in order to minimize the impact on employees in the regular workforce, the employer agrees to offer the impacted employee the opportunity to work any letter carrier duty assignments performed by CCA employees, or to separate, to the extent possible, CCA employees working in the city letter carrier craft and installation prior to accessing any regular city letter carrier outside of the installation. And here we have a memo regarding involuntarily, involuntary reassignment without regard to level. The following modification to Article 12 of the National Agreement will apply as it relates to the involuntary reassignment of city letter carriers who are accessed into city letter carrier duty assignment in a different installation. A. City letter carriers will be involuntarily reassigned by juniority and status, full-time, part-time regular, or part-time flexible without regard to pay grade. City letter carriers who are involuntarily reassigned to an assignment in a lower pay grade will be provided saved grade pursuant to Employee and Labor Relations Manual, Section 421.53. 
The involuntarily reassigned or senior in lieu of volunteer city letter carrier will be placed into a withheld city letter carrier residual vacancy in the gaining installation at the same lower or higher pay level. C. Upon being involuntarily reassigned, an impacted city letter carrier will receive retreat rights by seniority to a vacant position in the same pay grade as that formerly held in the original installation. Retreat rights are determined when an offer to retreat is made, regardless of whether the excess city letter carrier accepts or rejects the offer. However, if an opportunity to retreat to a different pay grade in the original installation occurs first, it will be offered to impacted employees by seniority without regard to pay grade. An offer to retreat to a different pay grade will be made only once to each excess city letter carrier per accessing event. Failure to accept an offer to a different pay grade does not exhaust a city letter carrier's retreat rights to his or her original pay grade. D. Saved grade provided under this agreement will be discontinued for city letter carriers who fail to accept a retreat opportunity back to a grade Q2 vacancy in his or her original installation. E. Withheld residual duty assignments that would be part of an Article 41.3.0 posting if the positions were occupied will be made available for selection during the 41.3.0 bidding process unless such withheld residual assignments has already been selected by or assigned to an employee subject to the involuntary or subject to involuntary or a senior in lieu of a junior reassignment pursuant to Article 12, date January 10th, 2013. And here's another memo regarding involuntary, involuntary reassignment preference eligible. The following procedure will apply for the involuntary reassignment of grade Q2 veteran preference eligible city letter carriers who are excess to the needs of an installation and reassigned into duty assignments in the letter carrier craft. A. Identify the number of preference eligible grade Q2 city letter carriers who are identified as excess to the needs of an installation. B. Identify the available withheld grade Q2 duty assignments within the withholding radius of the losing installation. C. Offer and assign available residual withheld duty assignments to city letter carriers identified as excess, without regard to level of assignments or non-preference preference-eligible status of the employee pursuant to the Memorandum of Understanding regarding involuntary reassignment without regard to level. D. If a preference-eligible grade Q2 city letter carrier declines to select an available grade Q2 duty assignment that remains unselected, he or she will be assigned to that position. If there is more than one available grade Q2 assignment, the employee will be assigned to the position closest to his or her original installation. E. An impacted preference-eligible city letter carrier may elect reassignment to an available withheld grade Q1 duty assignment. In such case, the employee will receive saved grade pursuant to Employee and Labor Relations Manual Section 421.53. To make a selection to a lower-level duty assignment, the preference-eligible city letter carrier must expressly waive his or her rights to appeal such reassignment through the grievance arbitration process, the Merit Systems Protection Board, and the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. F. When reassignment of an excess grade Q2 preference-eligible employee through the above positions is not possible, through the above above provisions is not possible, the most junior non-veteran preference-eligible grade Q2 city letter carrier in an installation within the withholding radius that has an available residual grade Q1 duty assignment will be reassigned to the grade Q1 vacancy. 
Such reassigned city letter carrier will receive saved grade pursuant to the Employee Labor Relations Manual, Section 421.53. The veteran preference eligible city letter carrier will then be assigned to the resulting vacant Q2 assignment in that installation. G. If a reassignment cannot be accomplished through items A through F of this memorandum, the affected preference eligible city letter carrier will be assigned to the closest available withheld residual grade Q2 or equivalent vacancy from the losing installation. H. When a non-veteran preference Q2 city letter carrier is reassigned pursuant to item F of this agreement, the national business agent will be notified prior to such reassignment. Date January 10th, 2013. All right. Next is Section 7. We are about halfway through this, so we are going to hold Section 7 for next time. Eh, 52 minutes, that's not too shabby. So, um, boy, that was, uh, that was a lot of reading, and there is more reading to come. So we will pick this up in two weeks. Take care out there, guys. Catch you next time.